I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Final episode of the show before the Stanley Cup final, but alas, we do not have a Stanley Cup final to preview. Uh, the New York Islanders staved off elimination with a double overtime victory against the Tampa Bay Lightning in Game 5. Seems to be delaying the inevitable Tampa-Dallas mm-hmm. Cup final, but we move forward regardless, Mike. Uh, what's going on, man? It's good. We're only wearing one sweater today, so that's cool. I know, I know you always like to do the sweater checks. That's good. Just yeah. loving the fall weather. Apparently, it's going to be a long um enjoyable fall season in toronto this year and so i I love that fall is my favorite season cannot wait sweaters candles rose i learn a lot about you Mm -hmm. by just monitoring what you're doing over there (laughs) yeah you're just keeping an eye on me keeping tabs and making sure i know exactly what's going on Mm -hmm. uh let's dive right into it i mean let's do it I, I, i guess we we can't really dissect Tampa and the New York Islanders to the extent that we believe we were going to be able to do it but we can do that for Dallas and Vegas obviously Dallas only needed five games to advance to the Stanley Cup final uh pretty shocking pretty shocking because they knocked off probably the best two teams or at least the two teams that were considered favorites in order to get there and they did it while it was you know it it reached an uncomfortable point in game seven versus the Colorado Avalanche after building a 3-1 lead uh, they've been able to jump jump in front of really good teams and, and ride out victories. And I guess the key to all that has been Anton Kadobin. Yeah, he's been absolutely incredible. Like, this guy is just – it's hilarious. He reminds me of – I was going to say sort of Tim Thomas in a sense. Like, he just flops around like crazy. He's, a, he's an old sort of wily guy. He seemed to really kind of catch fire in the latter half of his career. Um, but to your point with, with the two teams that, that Dallas was able to kind of steam, not steamroll, but get through um, in these two, uh, in the two past rounds, we wanted to see Colorado and Vegas push to their limit. We wanted to see them challenged. And this is what happened. They, they both bowed out. And it was like Dallas, although it's, you know, they might have PDO'd themselves a bit here. You know, they, they wrote a bit, um, maybe some score effects. Uh, riding to, to this outcome. And I think prop, from a possession standpoint, Vegas and Colorado probably drove more in the, not probably, they did drive more in those series. Dallas was able to close it out. They have these, all you need to do to put together a great playoff run is have pretty, you know, have, have elite goaltending, which they've got, and have some, you know, some, some kind of legends being, being built in your, in your team. Some sort of, some guys coming up and, and staking a claim um, as, as this out of nowhere star and Joel Kivaranta again. He's, he's the folk hero of our generation. It's amazing. And, and so, yeah, I just, I love watching uh, what Dallas did here. It, it was su- like, we both picked Vegas in five and six games, but that, here Dallas is going to the, the cup final. Yeah. You mentioned score effects. I actually think the score effects um, probably shine a bit of a negative light or a more negative light on Dallas's run. I don't know how many times they scored the first goal in games. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually a problem against Vegas. But I felt like the whole time they were not chasing games. They were just sort of comfortably playing these tight games. 
and not getting to the point where they're frantically looking for a goal. It didn't seem like they were ever in that mode in which they were like selling out, uh, uh, selling out in order to score a goal until the end of game five, where we saw all of a sudden they just flipped the switch, scored those two goals to tie, and then obviously won it in overtime where they were just, you know, sending defensemen down the boards, pinching and, and forcing the issue. And that's when they really got the offense going. But I think their composure is that they're not, Mm-hmm. They, they, and even when they fall behind, they're not chasing. They hang around, they hang around, they wait, and they, and they wait for their opportunities because they can lean on a guy like Anton Kudobin. And I think that probably, you know, plays into the fact that, yeah, they don't have the greatest numbers uh, in, these, in these playoffs. And I know Sagan was asked about, you know, what it means to be the team that, that, uh, <laughs> that was outscored on their way to the Stanley Cup final. I don't know if it was the first team or what have you, but obviously a bit of an anomaly to, to not be – uh, a team that actually has a positive goal differential during the playoffs and get to the Stanley Cup final. And, but that's not, anal- we're not talking about analytics here. I mean, we're, we're just talking about goal scoring and yes, they found a way to, uh, to get to the Stanley Cup final without blowing the doors off the opponents. And I think that's just part of their identity. And, and yeah, I mean, let Tyler Sagan have some fun. He's, he clearly doesn't know exactly what an analytic is or what the, uh, what analytics are at least considered to be in the hockey community. Uh, but I like him, you know, able to have a little bit of fun at, at a question that's uh, obviously trying to take something away from this team. Mm-hmm. And they don't have they don't have any reason to to bite on that or to fall into that trap because they got to the Stanley Cup final completely warranted. My favorite analytic is goals. That's for sure. Really deep. Stat it's the there. one it's the one I have the firmest grasp on. Yeah, I think so. There's no it's not expected goals. I'm talking real unpasteurized goals. Um, but uh what, what was interesting to me with, with this Dallas team and how they got sort of past a, a team like Vegas is we were talking about, now that you mentioned Sagan, how their big names weren't really stepping up that much. And Jamie Benn had a, in game five, had a game for the ages. I mean, I was mm-hmm. like, obviously I watched the game, but just watching the highlights back, he was an absolute bull on the forecheck. There was that one, there was that one, man, you should teach this. If, if coaches out there, minor league coaches, I know we have a ton of them watching this. They, everyone watches us for, for coaching strategies. It, it's Set great. their watch to it. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're the Hubie Brown of, um, of the NHL. Jamie Benn's forecheck, it didn't, it didn't end up in a goal, but his forecheck, I think it was in the second period, where he just absolutely murdered Zach Whitecloud along the boards, grabbed the puck, shook off two Vegas Golden Knights, got to the front of the crease, and almost snuck it by Leonard on his, on, uh, I guess, by the pad or right by the toe. It was incredible. Like he, and then he ended up scoring a, a pivotal goal later in the game. He was fantastic. That's what you need from your captain. That's what you need from, from one of your longest tenured players. He stepped up, and now we're finally getting to see Jamie Benn, who has been you know, one, of the, you know, one of the premier players in the NHL when you really think about it. He's in Dallas, so you don't really think about him too much atop that sort of marquee, but he's been you know, one of the stars in the league forever. He, he finished with an Art Ross, I'm pretty sure. Art Ross is the mm-hmm. highest point, point getter, right? Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. got – Levy did that six years ago, 87 points. Yes. A lot has changed since yeah. Jamie Benn was, you know, challenging for scoring titles. Uh, and that includes his game. I mean, he has been mm. fantastic in these playoffs. And I think he's only getting better and better and better as the games and series wear, wear on. Uh, but Jamie Benn went from, you know, him and Patrick Kane were the two guys in the, in the middle of the 2010s uh, mm. trying to get scoring titles, basically, before McDavid and, and Matthews and all them sort of, changed and reset the bar in terms of goal scoring in the NHL but then he slipped the next two years to you know like top 25 barely getting in I guess that's the elite tier and then the last two seasons he's dropped 
you know, almost out of the 100 and then almost out of the 150. So this is a guy that has, has his powers have worn off to a pretty significant degree over the last six seasons. And he only just started getting paid that $9.5 million salary that he's earning. And obviously we know what happened with the, with the CEO last year calling him (laughs) out. That was the first year or the second year, one of the two uh, of of that, of that deal. So yeah, there's a lot of frustration, even though he's still a great player, there's a lot of frustration inside and outside the organization about Jamie Ben, but all will be forgiven. If he continues on his path, he's snuck into the Conn Smythe race for me. He probably mm-hmm. cannot catch Anton Kudobin. No probably can't catch Miro Heiskin as well. But if he does, again, what he did against the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, he's right there because he scored three. He was central to all three wins to close out the game, uh, close out the series. He scored in the last three games, and he was all over the puck. He had a, he had a point on five of the nine goals that Dallas scored in that series. It's crazy they only scored nine goals to get through. Uh, but Jamie Ben has been central to everything that they've been doing, at least of late. Absolutely. It's, and, and Miro Heiskin is definitely, like he's, set, he's making history at this point with, with his point totals from the back end. So we, we can't discredit that. But certainly back to Anton Kudo, uh, Hudobin or Kudobin, however you want, Dobby, as we'll call him. He's got Good a great Dobby. nickname. We need to really start, we need to start hammering home the Dobby nickname. It's on his mask. It's great. The amount of, when I was running the NHL account on Twitter the other day, the amount of Dobby gifts that you can use inside a, a per game like in in the game context is fantastic we need to start hammering those home but he's been a sneaky good backup goaltender for most of his career and we just he just doesn't get talked about that much but this year finished with a 930 year before 923 year before that 913 and now he's you know jumped in taking these reins um from an injured ben bishop and he's led the dallas stars to a stanley cup final like it's it's he's getting over the hump that they have failed to do many many years in a row at the same time, he's 34. He's a career backup. Like what do you, and he's hitting free agency this season in a very deep goaltending market. What do you, what do you pay this guy? Like, do you, do, you, do you feel comfortable making him a, you know, a 1A when he's never really been that? No, probably not. Uh, I, I think that would be a bit of a leap for a team that's willing to, willing to go that, that route. But, like, maybe a team that is, you know, not sold on whoever they've got. Like the Calgary Flames come to mind. Mm-hmm. Where it's you know you have David Riddick, Cam Talbot, yeah. I mean, it, they come <laughs> any goalie. goalie, but but it makes more sense for him to not slide into that one B role and actually take mm-hmm. a platoon. I mean, Ben Bishop when he's on and when he's not battling injury, which always seems to happen when the Stanley Cup Finals or playoffs roll around. Uh, but you know, we'll move on from that. Uh, it just it just seems like that's not the perfect situation for him because he probably warrants more starts. Uh, then sliding in behind uh, what, what is considered a truly elite goaltender in Ben Bishop. So uh, it, it should be interesting what happens with him because I think he can help just about any team. And few players can say that. Obviously, there's – or few free agents can say that. Obviously, there's some – there's guys out there um, like, you know, Taylor Hall. We're talking about former MVPs. But if Taylor Hall – not many teams can afford a Taylor Hall. Mm-hmm. Like, and not many teams can, can not have to trade something out in order to bring in a Taylor Hall. So how much does he really improve your team? A guy like Anton Kudobin, I think he can improve pretty much every team because he is an elite backup goaltender and the guy that can take over and obviously give you wonderful starts over prolonged stretches. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's also just a, a great character. There's that picture that's been, you know, circling around Twitter that everyone's using, uh, using of him where I think it's, I, don't, I have no idea the context, but he's shirtless, he's soaking wet. I'm not yeah. sure what, what, it might be sweat, it might be water, I don't know. And he's holding, doesn't matter. 
He's holding, I think it's either one or two gigantic, like Thor level sized, you know, mugs of beer. And I think yeah. there's a huge plate of like finished demolished hot wings, like next to him. The guy's a yeah. legend. Like this which is, is pro- which could be why he's sweating or he's just, you know, right who, out of the hot tub, whatever he's doing, he's partying. Whomst like amongst it. us hasn't had the meat sweats at some point. Like, let's be real. It's, it's great. But he's, he, this is just, I love the personalities of the playoffs that come out. Like you have a folk hero like Joel Kivaranta. No one knew his name and now he's on the power play. That, that's what struck me the most too, is that when like he's, he was on the power play um, when he scored that, that tying goal. It's hilarious that, you know, the cojones on, uh, on Rick Bonus to throw out this fourth liner, you know, you know quasi uh, uh, press box guy on a power play in an elimination or yeah, in an elimination game. Um, and then uh, Anton Hudobin, who's this guy, he's, he just has, he has that swagger about him. And I think that the team kind of follows, follows his sort of demeanor in that he's just this big burly. He's exactly what like, I think uh, Ilya Brizgalov tried to be, but he has the play to back it up and it's great. I love, I love seeing it. And you, it's hard not to root for a guy like that. It's hard not to root for personalities in hockey. And this guy clearly has it. And his speech after he got oh, the, yeah. uh, the Dallas Stars winning chain or whatever they call it uh, was epic, even though it was only five, six words, whatever it ended up being. Yeah. Uh, I guess Rick Bonus. I mean, you, you didn't really touch on it, but you mentioned Kevaranta mm-hmm. and his, his, you know, his call to have him out there on, the, uh, on that late power play. Pretty much everything Rick Bonus is doing is working. And it's remarkable for a guy who's been around hockey, uh, you know, coaching professionally coaching at high levels for 40 years now mm-hmm. uh, that he is, you know, suddenly pressing all the buttons for a team at, at the head coaching position for a team that's going to the Stanley cup final. I mean, he's had pretty much zero success other yes. than one run, I believe with the Boston Bruins uh, at the very beginning of his career, it seems uh, at the co- head coaching uh, ranks. He's basically been a guy who's stepped in when something else has gone wrong. And that's exactly what the case was with the Dallas Stars this year, with Jim Montgomery being fired, I believe it was December for mm-hmm. his personal issues uh, and how that spilled, I guess, into what the team was doing. But uh, Rick Bonus is, is playing the hits right now. Everything he's doing is working. And whether it's, you know, taking Andrew Cogliano out, the Ironman for Kibberanta, uh, for his lineup changes, for his deployment on the power play, for his in-game adjustments, the fact that, he just the Dallas Stars just turned the switch in that third period and we were able to get those two goals to tie. It seems like everything there's responding to Rick Bonus first and foremost, but everything he's doing is what's you know correct in the situation. Yeah, it's they believe in him. Like this is you clearly see a team that believes in their head coach, which is remarkable to see what he's done considering that he stepped in in pretty unprecedented circumstances. Like the Stars were a good team. They were doing well and then out of nowhere uh, maybe not out of nowhere inside the building, but the Stars players sure, sure seems, seemed shocked about it at the time. Um, Jim Montgomery leaves, and now Rick Bonus is in the, head, in the interim coaching spot. He has to coach the team for a bit, and then a pandemic hits, and they have to take a crazy break in between, and now they're in a, in a bubble, and they're figuring it out. Like it's, he, what he's been able to do in his, with, in, in his stead, I guess, as the in, with the interim tag on, it's been fantastic. He's, he's when you look at him behind the bench and you see the, you see the swell of support that came out to, uh, about him after the game, after he was head to the cup final, it just shows that he's a, like, if you're just a good person throughout your entire career, like people remember that. And when you eventually receive success, like it's just going to be all that much sweeter. He just seems like a good dude. Like he just seems like someone who players like to play for easy to believe in. And he's been through some stuff. Like I was researching him today for the, for the not stuff in, in like real life sense, but I mean, hockey sense, I was researching him a bit. Um, before the uh, like just his history before the show 
and he his he had to grapple with the Mike Milbury experience um, <laughs> uh, in in Long Island, and I have it here. He was he essentially um, he got hired as assistant coach in 97, uh, 96, 97. And then a couple games into that se season, uh, under Mike Milbury, Mike Milbury was the head coach and GM at the time. Milbury resigned and Bonus became the head coach of the Islanders. So Milbury was still the GM. And then the next, and then on January 22nd, uh, or sorry, then on, in, uh, right around the, head, the start of the 97, 98 season, Milbury then fired Bonus and took back the reins of head coach. And it's just been like that forever. He's also coached under... Uh, John Cooper recently in, in Tampa, and then Steve Eiserman fired him after they lost, uh, I think, in the cup final, saying their defense wasn't good enough. Who we might be playing against in the Stanley Cup final. It's, he's, he's, been, he's Hockey's journeyman, man. He's been all, his Wikipedia page is very, very long. Um, and wow. it's, just, it's good to see someone who, you know, he seems like he's been passed over for a couple of head, head coaching jobs before. He's had, you know, a, just a cavalcade of different jobs in hockey. It's nice to see this guy finally break through, take a team that clearly believes in him, and head to the Stanley Cup with a ton of swagger. Good for him. I think it might be a lesson, too, for other teams. I mean, we're seeing this rush to hire coaches that have had issues in many places over the course of their career and have, have had to play that bad cop role mm -hmm. because they've been head coaches for so long. And then Rick Bonus has obviously been a good cop this in, yes. basically his entire career, or at least uh, since he was you know, done with Mike Milbury. I guess he became the good cop in that situation. Everyone, sure. Everyone's the good cop to Mike Milbury. But maybe you just got now need guys that can communicate, can talk, can you can talk to guys that you know you're either right now it's either retreads or you're trying to find that next hot coaching prospect who has something to prove. Maybe like the Dallas Stars to me seem like a team that's difficult to coach because they've got a lot of personalities, they've got a lot, they've got you know guys that are at the top making a lot of money and maybe are out being outperformed by guys that are below them. I mean, Ben Bishop being outperformed by Anton Kudobin here, Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan making all the money while Heiskanen uh, and, and others are, and are just not making the same amount of money. And Kivaranta, I wasn't going to say it, but you did. Um, I did. Yeah, maybe maybe just it, it, it requires a little bit more, I don't want to say compassion because I think I'm just, you know, getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, you know, we're going to get into Peter Laviolette later. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm more confident in a guy like Rick Bonus, the good cop, the guy who can speak to the players and has all that experience without agitating and irritating everyone over a guy like Peter Laviolette is going to his fourth Metropolitan Division team. Like everyone knows about Peter Laviolette. Yeah. Everyone knows his shtick. And I won't be surprised if that becomes tired in less than a season in Washington. So, you know, maybe it's just something for, for uh, GMs and teams to, to consider a little bit more. I think it's also just real quick on Laviolette. I think it's really you know, telling that it's a three-year deal with him opposed to, you know, the five, the coaches, four or five, the coaches usually sign, but we digress. Yeah. I think, look, uh, a lot of players around my age, like I'm 24 and I can tell you right now that if that, you know, the best bosses that I've had are the ones that were able to communicate with me, the ones that weren't, you know, there's, there's a certain, um, there's a certain, I guess, advantage to tough love. Like some people need tough love. Um, but it just goes to show that players, especially athletes, especially athletes with egos and especially athletes who are making millions of dollars. And there's all the, the sort of psychological impacts that come with that. They, they perform better when they're happy. They perform better when they're in their happy place, not a comfortable place, but when they're, but because there's a difference between happy and comfortable. And I think comfortable can kind of lead to some sort of stagnation there, but they, they play better when they're happy. Rick bonus. He just seems like a happy guy. He's got happy vibes around him. He's doing double fist pumps on the bench when his team wins 
he just he just seems like a good dude. He's been around the game forever, and sometimes that can be a bad thing where he hasn't been able to evolve. But the players seem to like him, and if they like playing for you, if they then they will go that extra mile because yes, it's it's great to push someone and get sort of and get them to get you know to their one hundred percent. But if you but if you're able to sort of push those right buttons and they like you and they want to make you proud and they want to to win for you, you can get them to 120 percent past past their effort. You can get them to go above and beyond opposed to just what their max might be. Rick Bonus seems to have struck that chord with this team. They seem to like play, playing for him. They're a relatively older team, at least up front, with guys who've been there for a while, veterans who are installed, a leadership core that's pretty installed, who's being paid. They could be fat and happy. But he seems to be pushing the right buttons for them. And it seems to be, and clearly it's worked. They're in the cup final. They're four wins away from the Stanley Cup. I know we're not there yet, but Dallas, based on their entire last decade, I guess, mm-hmm. it seems like they deserve to get to the Stanley Cup final at least once. Like it seemed like that was happening, going to happen for them. I know obviously things trailed off a little bit from those years where Jamie Benn was one of the most dominant forces in the league. But Tampa Dallas if that is indeed what comes to fruition, mm-hmm. seems like what might have, should have been the cup final about four or five years ago and didn't happen and might be happening later. And obviously it's going to involve, if it happens again, two coaches that have worked together recently with Bonus and John Cooper. But again, I guess we shouldn't count out the Islanders just yet. Um, we okay. can count out the Vegas Golden Knights, however. And speaking of coaching decisions, I don't know how good that Peter DeBoer coaching decision is looking right now. He gave off some uninspired vibes after the series, basically mm-hmm. admitting that the team was a little shook uh, after they got code, which didn't really make sense to me. Why would you I admit mean, that? How can you not turn the page if you're an elite team and if you're a brilliant you coach won. that can take, exactly, that can take their team to the Stanley Cup final in your first year? I mean, that, that didn't seem like elite tactics on his part, but I guess, I mean, the series was over and maybe it was just the honesty that we do ask for these guys, from these guys and these teams uh, but just that didn't seem right. Uh, and it didn't seem right for the Vegas Golden Knights at the end of this series. Uh, and really the last maybe two weeks of their run because they just didn't have the goal scoring to get by. Mm-hmm. And they were relying too heavily on perfection from the, their goaltenders, mostly Robin Leonard. Uh, and Dallas was able to come up on top in that scenario. Uh, this is a big disappointment, though, because yeah. as much as this team is new and fledgling in their uh, – in- team that pushed their cards into the middle of the table. Pardon the uh, obvious Vegas pun. Um, It's a team that went out and signed Paul Stasty and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty to big money contracts. And while I'm confident in Mark Stone, I have some reservations about where Max Pacioretty and and Paul Stasty are going with their careers. I, I feel like their window should have been just opening they rushed to get it open, though, and maybe now it's closing already. How, do, how are you feeling about the Vegas Golden Knights right now? Yeah, this is abs- this is definitely a disappointment. I, like it, they should have they should have made the Cup final. They're an incredibly deep team. They're an incredible, at least on paper, they're a deep and better team, I'd say, than Dallas. Dallas might have better high end guys, but lines one through five or one through five, one through four on Vegas and pairings one through three, and the goaltending as well. It should all it should all lean in Vegas's favor and they ended up dropping it like it's and like you said they put their chips in, into the middle they they sent out it was I think two second round picks to get Alec Martinez who's you know an older defenseman and he played pretty well and so did Leonard who they also got for pretty much a steal but they still got him they 
this this is a disappointment. They should have been there. And to your point about DeBoer, that is what that was one of the most baffling post game quotes or po- post series quotes, I guess I've ever heard. That you <laughs> you said that that your offensive your offensive confidence was shaken because a you know a second year goaltender who had who is largely unproven played three really good games against you that you still won and you couldn't flip the page and go into the next round thinking like the fact that if you, you conquered Demko, like you, you, he was, he was, you know, on a heater, he put up like a nine eighty five or whatever it was in those games. And you still managed to win. If, how is that not the biggest confidence boost to your, to your team? Then uh, it, it's ridiculous. I don't understand why he would say that. And it just goes to show that I think, I think Vegas grossly misjudged what the, what the, what the, I guess, source of their problems were under Gerard Gallant because they fired him for no reason whatsoever. Um, the team was, it was performing below expectations, but they're still in a playoff spot and sudden they, and their goaltending was terrible. Marc-Andre Fleury had a terrible season. And then suddenly they go out and they get Robin Leonard, one of the best goalies in the league. And, Oh, look at that. It, oh, Peter DeBoer has really whipped this team into shape. No, they just got a good goaltender. They were able to stop the puck. You have no idea how, how much that really impacts a team. It, it just boggles my mind that an NHL front office can't look at their like expected save percentage and actual save percentage and go, oh, maybe our, maybe our goaltending isn't great. We shouldn't put this all on the coach. And Peter DeBoer, like, yes, he's, look, he's, he's had some success with teams before. He's been able to, to take them to different places, uh, but never the cup. And I just, I, I don't understand how you could, the defeatist attitude of, yes, Thatcher Demko, who put up three really good games in the series prior to this one, and we still managed to beat him. Yeah, he really got in our heads. Flip the page, man. Like, you're, you, you're in the Western Conference Final. You got over that hill. He didn't take a chunk out of you. You conquered it. Be proud. But, yeah, and now you look where they go from here. I mean, it's, like you said, they, they are, they're going to have to subtract. Like, unless they can make some really weird, you know, sort of finagling moves with the cap, this team, it showed that, they're, that their ceiling, at least at this point, is a second or third round. Uh, it's a third round exit in five games, no less. And they have five million in cap space. They, they don't have a ton of notable free agents, but at the same time, you want to improve upon this team. And it's going to be really hard with the constraints that they have. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to bring back pretty much the same team, right? Like you mentioned Martinez and Leonard. Uh, Martinez obviously has one more year, but uh, it looks like Leonard is going to come back. So where do they go from here? I think a lot of that hinges on their decision with Marc-Andre Fleury, right? I I mean, they could go into the season with $12 million at the goaltending position, but that's going to be really restricting. And I know we talked about that that on the last podcast, but – it, it's it's going to be difficult because as much as they seem like they're going to be the team that, you know, a team that's not going to be constrained by the salary or internal budgeting and, and what's going to happen with the salary cap, they sort of reach their point here. They sort yeah. of reach their, their threshold with what they can do. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to sell off a Stastny or a Pacioretty or, or even a Marc-Andre Fleury uh, to, to fix the problems with their roster. I will say though, I thought, as much as it was all about their goal scoring, I thought Riley Smith's goal to make it 2 nothing in Game 5 was deter- going to be a turning point moment for them. And in the end, it just basically sent them in the complete opposite direction that I expected. I thought that was going to be the goal, or that was going to be the moment that got him and Marcheseau and Carlson and all those guys really going and believing again that they had the ability to come back in this series. 
But once they finally got a two-goal lead in this year, I mean, I think it happened in game three as, as well. But once they got to the point where they actually looked like they were in control and broken through on Anton Kadobin, and it was going to happen for them, they forgot how to play defense. Mm-hmm. So, so Peter DeBoer can talk all, about, all he wants about how their confidence was shaken from an offensive perspective. They had, they, all they had to do was do what they had been doing this entire postseason, which is to lock it down in the third period and play solid defense in front of the very best goaltenders in the league. And they folded. They couldn't handle what Dallas did from a forechecking standpoint and from a, from, you know, with real intent and what they wanted to do. Uh, and, and it just sort of, sort, of, sort of showed their colors a little bit because as much as they had problems uh, goal scoring in this series, when it really mattered, when they really had to bear down, they couldn't do that either. And that's how they're, like, they're built to be able to lock you down in the third period. They're built to be able to send out four lines or be able to, even when they shorten the bench, to send out you know, this wave after wave of just solid, good, un, sort of unflappable players. And also, like, to your point with the goaltenders, look, I love Leonard. I think he had a great playoffs. But there were a couple goals in this game, especially the game winner that he should have had. And that game winner specifically, he, he had he, – he, he read the Garyana um, one-timer. Like, he, he made it there on time. They just didn't close his five-pole properly, and it, and it went in. It was a little shaky. Now, like you said, they're, you know, they, they're probably going to try and run it back, and it'll be really interesting to see whether or not they even kind of have deserved to do that. But like, like this is this is we've established that this is kind of their season at this point. They're they're, they're um, their ceiling at this point, and now they have Len- they have roughly five million in cap space, a little under that. And Leonard's projected sort of a, a I guess AAV is five. I think it's been reported that it's a five year five million extension that he's kind of going. Uh, they're agreeing on. How do you add to this team? Like moving salary is going to be the number one thing that they need to do, and it's the biggest. It's it's the it's the hardest thing you're gonna be that any GM is gonna be is gonna be tasked with doing moving forward in this in this reality of the NHL with the flat cap, People, like not just cap hits but actual salary and moving a and, and what team is gonna to want to take a take a gamble and potentially spend upwards of their low seventy to mid seventies uh, internal cap on a what thirty four year old or thirty five year old Mark Andre Fleury for another two years or another year or you know it's Paul Stastny who's thirty four years old another year with of six point five million they even if they do run back this exact same team, it's hard not to see how anyone's gotten better from this. And you want to, with a team that's in a contention window, you want to see them improve incrementally year after year. And to your point, they might've rushed that window a bit because yes, they were able to, and we might be saying the complete opposite if they, if they break through here, but they had a treasure trove of draft picks from the expansion draft. They had, you know, and they spent them and they spent them kind of recklessly. And now you think about it, maybe you could have improved this team with some real offensive firepower if you didn't give up that first, second, and third for Thomas Tatar. And now they're retaining salary on him and you might have some more wiggle room to improve, but there are these little incremental things that kind of went wrong, that there are these little sort of, they don't make these big mistakes, but they're these death by paper cuts that really came back to hurt Vegas, like firing Gallant for no reason with the, with the goaltending. And like these moves where maybe they sort of rush that window a bit. They don't have a ton of really elite prospects coming up through the pipeline other than maybe Nick Haig on the back end. And there are a lot of positives here. Shea Theodore is your stud, you know, defender moving forward and he's locked into an extension. But other than that, like you want to be able to improve and I don't know how they really do that. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but I think they can improve their team a lot if they do find a buyer for Marc-Andre Fleury. If they have $7 million to work with, I think they can definitely – obviously, this is still a talented group. I think it needs a little bit of a, a scoring element added to it, mm-hmm. and you can certainly do that for $7 million. So Marc-Andre 
Fleury is is the key guy to watch with this team, I think, in this offseason. Um, but again, it, it comes down to uh, did they just they misplace the timing a little bit? Because if Maybe. they did, it, it, it just might be that it, it never quite jives to the point uh, in which they were able to get over that hump. But again, they get rid of Fleury. Uh, they've done a lot of good things as well. And I think they can repeat some of those good things they've done. A guy like Chandler Stevenson, I mean, he gets paid $1 million. They got him for a fifth round pick from the He's Washington Capitals. He looks like a stud. I mean, he is, he is just a bottom six stud. He looks like the next Blake Coleman to me. I think he's a really good player and a guy that they can, you know, it, it, that shows that they can identify well. I think they can continue doing that. And $7 million from Flurry would certainly help them do that. In that $7 million, they got to find cap space to re-sign Garrett Sparks. That's their number one priority this offseason. Mm. You know, it's great. Well, Steve, they will need a backup if they get rid of Flurry. So. That's true. And uh, we know Garrett Sparks is great playing that backup role. He really knows how to play that role and not have to play every game. And, and it's fantastic. Also, Chandler Stevenson, by the way, pending RFA. They need to mm-hmm. fit him into that money that they basically have already given to Robin, Le- Robin Leonard. Yeah, there's, some de- there's some decisions to be made in Vegas. I don't think we'll be running it back exactly. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Not with Flurry. Not with Flurry. It'll be difficult with Flurry. We haven't really talked enough, I don't think, about Islanders Tampa Bay. And I think that's just because of the situations, the timing. It's because uh, it's boring. And, yeah, it's probably just a little bit boring as well. I mean, the Islanders won a game in which they had more shot blocks than actual shots. Uh, but they won it nonetheless. And now there's going to be a game six between them and the Islanders. I guess I'll ask you this. Do they have any chance of winning the next two games? I mean, it really depends on Braden Point, I think. Like Tampa, you know, obviously was missing Braden Point this past game and, and they were only able to muster a single lull. Um, but I think when you really look at it, I don't – Tampa's just too good. Like they ju- they're just too deep. They have too many, too many players up front, even with, you know, Braden Point and Steven Stamkos missing they still have these guys that just seem to just seem to be able to break through and I, I really the islanders can block as many shots as they want 
um, at the end of the day, I really do think that sort of the, the unstoppable force is going to be able to move the immovable object if we want to talk about metaphors here. Um, but that stat with the, with the uh, more shot blocks than shots, is that not the most New York Islander stat of all time? Is that not like, do you think that Barry Trotz just looks at that on paper and get, and thinks, damn, I did it. This is, this like is his own, his own personal bingo card. That is the center space. He just lights like a cigarette and puts his feet up on his desk and is like, yeah. Yeah, Barry, B dog, yeah. you're you're feeling yourself here. Um, yeah. It was it, it was crazy. Like this, watching this game was at least from from the Islanders' perspective, it was a slog. They had 24 shots in a, in a double OT game, and they had 13 from the third period on. It's remarkable. They, I don't know. What I want to know is how Barry Trotz has not won, did not, or hasn't won the Jack Adams at this point. Like or he he has, but I mean, like, I want to know how Barry Trotz didn't win it this year. Yes, Bruce Cassidy was great with uh, with the Bruins, but this, like, this is a team that shouldn't be anywhere near where they are right now. I you, think you're asking, why isn't the Jack Adams called the Barry Trotz? Yes, exactly. Because he's, like, this system, if you can neutralize Tampa like that, and I know they're missing points, Stamkos, but, like, if they, if, okay, if the Islanders beat this Tampa team, if they're able to, you know, go into a shell and just rope-a-dope them and withstand this, you have to rename the Jack Adams to the Barry Trotz. You just have to. It's <laughs> remarkable the rule yeah. it is like I, I i don't think we need a we need a committee vote for it i don't think we need to put it up to to the board of governors i think it just needs to be like everyone agrees in one second yes this is it uh i kind of agree with you i mean obviously i think his impact is doing wonders for that team and i think it might do the exact opposite for the tampa bay lightning because as much as i believe the lightning are going to get through every game that they have to play against the islanders might just take a little bit of life out of them. Might mm -hmm. just take a little bit of sting or a little bit of uh, speed off their fastball, or so to say. I, I just think that they're a team that seems to be limping here to the finish. As dominant as they are and as dominant as they remain, despite having to dig into their depth a bit, with you know, obviously no stamp goes, now with no point. Nikita Kucherov looks banged up every game. Like It looks like he's getting hurt every yeah. game that he plays. And it's not bad enough to take him out of the lineup. He's taking lazy like he's, penalties too. He's he's sort of limping to the finish here, and 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 you know we saw what he, you know how he can sort of get distracted in last year's playoffs when he sort of melted down, melted down against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like extra games could, in the end, cost the Tampa Bay Lightning because they had played such an efficient uh, Stanley Cup playoffs to this point. Obviously, only needing five games to get past their two. Uh, their first opponents in in the in the who were who was their first opponent Boston and then who they beat in the first round uh, Columbus Columbus right so Columbus and Boston only needing ten games yeah that's great but now we're at the point where the Islanders are digging in a little bit and now we're getting into the sixth and maybe seventh game and they're not exactly coming out of this scot free well Dallas as much as they've been involved in physical series they're a more physical team and they're the ones that uh, just seem to be a, a little bit more healthy going into what could be a championship series between these two, those two teams. So Barry Trotz might not be able to get a clearly inferior team to beat a superior team, but he might be the guy that takes just enough out of them mm -hmm. by employing that structure uh, and employing, you know, the Matt Martins of the world and the Cloud Clutterbucks and so on and so forth to do their thing against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And maybe that's just the difference in the end uh, because Tampa is not the healthiest team as, as good as they've been. Uh, they're getting banged up. They're still winning, but maybe that just runs out when they get to the championship series. And also keep in mind, I'm pretty sure last night was the 10th overtime period that Tampa has played in these playoffs. They, they got into the 11th. 11th. They, they, 
they had 10 without giving up a goal and they, mm-hmm. and they lost obviously uh, giving up a goal in their 11th period. But that's for a team that's already that banged up. They've played, a, they've played essentially, you know, three extra hockey games. So it's right. like a, a total. So, so as much as the five games are great, you, you played a lot of hockey here. Yeah. And, and the, having every opportunity, I think for a tired team like this mentally, every opportunity that you have to close it out when you're this, when you're just beaten down, you're, you're limping at this point, you've played three extra games than you should have. And you have an opportunity to close out this team that you should on paper beat. And you don't, especially in this heartbreaking fashion, that's tough. And I think that's tough to rebound. And we've seen with this Tampa team, they really need to be mentally, they've, they've, they've slayed their demons to this point, but this is going to be another one. If they, if they're able to close this out with the injuries that they have with the fatigue that's setting in, I mean, that, that'll, that'll really, really help them pro- uh, propel them in the next round. But, I mean, I don't know. I, at the same time, like, at, at a certain – I get that the playoffs are a small sample size. Anything can happen. But at a certain point, like, doesn't, doesn't the team on paper have to win out? Like, this – the Islanders, yeah, they're, great, they're really well coached and they have a great, you know, they have a great defensive system. But you only, you only put 24 shots on net – in, 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 you know, five periods against one of the best, if not the best goalies in the, in the world, it has to catch up to you at some point, right? Well, you, you, you'd think it would. I mean, if they do get by Tampa Bay, I wonder what that would do for Dallas. Would that turn Dallas into the team that Dallas seems to have faced in this playoffs all along mm-hmm. where they're, the, they're, they're, they're the aggressors all of a sudden, I think it would kind of fall into that because no one is going to do to the Islanders what the Islanders do to, do to everybody else. I mean, or the Dallas Stars, I think, would be not only favored, but the team that would at least have, you know, definitely the more firepower and more reason to go after it because as much as they are, you know, a defense-first team, they do have a lot of offensive weapons, uh, but they can they can play that defensive brand while doing it, and they can obviously lean on Anton, Anton Kudobin for, uh, you know, what, what you'd think would be his least amount of challenge or work mm-hmm. against the Islanders coming off two series against, uh, the Colorado Avalanche and Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, and you really have to think, like, Tampa doesn't realize how much pressure they have on their shoulders here because not only are they fighting to make the, the cup, uh, make, you know, the cup final and finally get over that hump, but they, they're, the way that they win this series, the way that they, the outcome of this series really will determine whether or not we, we potentially go back to the dead puck era. Because if the, if the Islanders win the cup, after the Blues kind of defense their way to the cup last year and the Islanders take that to the absolute extreme this year, I'm really scared what a, what a copycat league like the NHL will now think is, is winning hockey in terms of building their teams. Because I don't want to see 31 New York Islanders teams play each other for, you know, 82 games. I think that's the most – I think that's a, a fate worse than death. Um, and so I really hope that Tampa kind of, you know, is able to close this out because I don't want to go back to the, the dead puck year. I was like five when it was, when it happened. And I was lucky enough to not have to really be conscious through that. It is on the Tampa Bay lightning to save hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they might have to win the Stanley cup in order to do that because a lot of teams are going to be looking at the Dallas stars yep. as a model to build around based on the fact of, I know how they play defense. Obviously they have a little bit more uh, excitement around them than maybe the Islanders do, but this is still, a defense first team. Okay, a lot of news and notes. So let's jump right into let's it. Rattle before, through these before we transition to post game shows again for the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup final. It could Can't be wait. starting as soon as the weekend, perhaps. Uh, but that's a lot of fun. Obviously, this is a podcast about the Leafs, and it's usually post game. Uh, but we haven't done post game analysis since I love the that. Leafs flamed out in five games. Uh, so we'll be back in our wheelhouse soon enough. But until then, 
Let's uh, take one more spin around the league, shall we? Mm-hmm. Bill Armstrong hired as Coyotes GM. I have nothing to add, so go ahead. I mean, he's he's not related to Doug Armstrong, which was the most surprising thing of this. Um, I, I was, would have definitely would have assumed that. Yeah, me too. But so it's crazy. It's it's a it's a refreshing lack of uh, lack of nepotism in hockey, which is great. Um, I don't know. He he was the assistant GM and director of amateur scouting uh, for uh, for the assistant. He I don't think or for the the Blues. Sorry. Um, I don't think he's officially been named Coyotes GM yet, but Friedman reported that there is like essentially they're in turn in uh, agreement on a five-year contract that is set to be finalized. He has his work cut out for him. He is going to be inheriting maybe the worst situation at all ends of at, at in all facets of an organization that you can. The lack of draft capital, the lack of financial you know might behind you to to actually make moves, the lack of on-ice success the lack of roster success and uh, the lack of ownership stability. I mean, this is, he, he really, I mean, I, this is a coveted job. There's only 31 of them in, in the league. So clearly you want to, you know, if, if one opens up for you, you want to take it and run with it. But man, it, they, John Chica got out of there for a reason, it seems. And Bill Armstrong, he's, he has his work cut out for him. They have essentially a dearth of, of salary to work with draft capital, prospects, everything. I, I, I do not, even though he just got named to potentially his dream job as an NHL GM, I do not envy Bill Armstrong today. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing that, or the biggest challenge that I think that he faces is that anybody who makes money over there might not be uh, at his disposal when the season begins because yeah. I think he's going to have to do everything he can to shed salary. So that means anyone who makes real dollars uh, might be shipped out of town and guys who make, basically nothing but are you know are have impacts on salary caps because of whether it was front-loaded back-loaded salary retainment whatever they might he might be the guy that's picking up all those contracts while getting rid of actual dollars because of the continued financial situation that never seems to be in in line to be resolved uh in arizona we already talked about peter labiolette that's Mm -hmm. what we have next year um but we didn't talk about the aspect of, or the the associated no Babcock, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously he was in line for that position as well. I'm more disappointed in the fact that Mike Babcock doesn't have a job yet than I am for the Washington Capitals, who I don't think will be that much better under Laviolette, although he could certainly prove me wrong. I think they'll be pretty good under Laviolette. I think that this is, because like you said, he's a coach with a very sort of limited shelf life, I think. He's almost like, before pre-evolution Tortorella, because Torts was able to evolve and become more of a player's coach than he was before. But there, the Caps window is not open forever. Like Ovechkin, he's, he's got gray hair now. He's getting up there. Backstrom, their core of, of, you know, really, you know, elite players, it's getting older and we don't know how much time they have left. So being able to get a guy like Lavulette, who in his first couple seasons as coach is proven to be able to get a lot out of their, out of his players, every, like when he won the cup in Carolina, made the cup final with Philly in 2009, and then made the cup final with Nashville in 2017, that, that, those were all within his first three years as coach of those teams. So I think, I don't think that this is a long-term move, like a, a move in with sights set on the future. I think what they really want is, we know we, what Brian McClellan is looking at is, in, in our capacity as a team right now, we only have so many years left with the old and gang together. So let's get a let's get a coach who who knows how to light a fire under guys right away. And yes, they might tire of them by year three, but maybe by year three, this is not a team that's poised to win anymore. Anyway, I kind of like it. I, I've always I've always thought Laviolette's a pretty good coach. He, he's been able to to you know 
have success with, with star players on his roster before. Those Philly teams were really exciting, and that Nashville team probably should have won. I, I was really rooting for them. Good for them. To your point um, with the Babcock, I, I, I cannot in any you know, plane of reality see Babcock and, uh, and Ovechkin coexisting in the same locker room. I just can't see it. With, with the personality he has, but also like he, he lost his mind at Dale Hunter I remember during that very brief year, I think it was like a half season or one season with Dale Hunter behind the bench because Dale Hunter would only play him like 15 minutes a game and make him block shots and stuff. That would be up to like, you know, Ovechkin would be playing 18 minutes in elimination game and just be ready to, you know, decapitate <laughs> Babcock. So yeah, it's, it's a shame that we didn't get the content from the Bapitals, but um, yes. it's, uh, but I think Laviolette, at least when it comes to the sort of, immediate future i think he's a good choice like i'm not thinking overthinking it too much yeah he might be a better choice than babcock i feel oh, like he is I a better choice have, than babcock he's, i just have laviolette yeah. fatigue uh yeah. i i want to see new people get opportunities uh the fact that he's coaching his fourth team in the in one division yeah, is just weird. ridiculous to me uh as you mentioned there's only 31 of these jobs 32 soon and yet the same guys still get them it's 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 i don't know maybe that's just something frustrating for me mm-hmm. uh i snuck a leaf headline in he here. did kyle clifford will test free agency which means he's probably not going to grace up with grace us with any more no bucket warm-ups uh, and that he'll move on somewhere else uh i think jd bunkus on sportsnet said it best basically the poison pill was the fact that the the pick is upgraded to a mm-hmm. second rounder if they do indeed retain kyle clifford i mean as much as I as I think he can be a value to this team, you'd have to overpay and then pay, you know, an additional fee of that second round pick, which the Leafs just need. Like they can't continue to give up their high uh, their high draft picks on the NHL draft floor. Like they just need to find a way to get a similar player without mm-hmm. spending as much money and obviously giving up draft capital in the process. Yeah, you can get a player like Kyle Clifford without giving up a second round pick and you know, the over a million dollars they probably have to pay him, you know, you can get him off the scrap heap. Like you can find players like that. They might even have a guy like that already in the building. Um, what I really want to know is, are you okay? Because you're not going to see any more no Bucky warmups. And I know that was a big thing for you. Yeah, it was a big thing for me, but maybe the, you know, whatever sort of powers that it may have brought to the Leafs were used up. And, and because, you know, he came, he came out steaming with no bucket for game five. Mm-hmm. And you thought, you know what, this is the difference. This is what's going to put this team over the hump. This is what's going to allow for the Leafs to have their, their Stanley Cup playoff moment for the first time in decades. But it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to fix the Leafs. And while I thought that that shining bald head might have been enough, it wasn't. So time to turn the page, I guess. Yeah, and as we talked about with the with the during our Casper Captain Emergency Pod, the Leafs have because of graduations, they have one of the most depleted um, prospect pipelines in the entire NHL. And you can't just be you can't just be willing to flip out second round picks for guys like Kyle Clifford when you can find you know guys who might be better value. You need to hoard those picks, especially in deep drafts like this. So I think it makes sense. I don't, I think that this was yes, you'd like to kind of resign a guy like Kyle Clifford. You like to have him around. He clearly the team loved him, but at a certain point, like at the, the sort of cost of benefit outweighs, you know, it's, it's behind every sort of a, a departure from a free agent, the cost of benefit kind of gets outweighed. And yeah, I, yeah. I think another team will be, will, will look to Kyle Clifford's shiny bald head as a beacon of light. Um, but the Leafs just won't be that team. Yeah. I think the Leafs can only really pay a premium at one position, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that top of the right 
rate shot yes. depth chart uh, on defense. I mean, that's Speaking where they're going to pay a premium this summer. Uh, and everywhere else, they have to take advantage of their of the fact that they're a team that can actually spend money because they have money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of players are going to be available that uh, may not have been available at any other time and only because of the ramifications of COVID-19. So they've got to be careful with what they do. Uh, if it isn't, you know, Alex Petrangelo on the right side. And I know you're teasing that of next. which... Go ahead. You can lead us into this one. Okay. Well, it's just... It seems like all the dominoes are falling here. Like, it's, it seemed like a pipe dream forever. It was all the, oh, maybe Petrangelo would sign a short-term deal. Uh, look, the Blues and Petrangelo, they, they don't seem to be liking each other right now. Petrangelo's been pretty vocal about how disappointed he is at the lack of uh, progress in contracts. He told that to Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic uh, recently. And the reported offers coming in his way, I think, are $7.7 million, which is ludicrously low. Mm-hmm. Like, it's remarkable. So the Athletic's Jeremy Rutherford – it's just it was it was a response it, it wasn't even like a like a sources say kind of thing it was a response to someone's like it was a reply to someone's reply to him um where he basically said unless there's a last second change of heart he won't resign with the blues if he hits the open market alex petrangelo so man this is like it seems like those cards are falling and then darren dreger on tsn 1050 and again we have to take everything he kind of says with a grain of salt but 10.50 on yesterday, he said if, if Petrangelo hits the open market, the Leafs in Vegas will be at the top of his list. Mm-hmm. Man, like, what, do, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think there's, this is where there's smoke, there's fire? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I think what Petrangelo is doing is he's trying to force the issue a little bit. I think mm-hmm. that's sort of the threat. If it's, okay, if it gets this far, then we're done. So he's trying to get that offer now. And I think I heard Pierre Lebrun on TSN 1050 as well. I think it was on TSN 1050. doesn't really matter. It was on a TSN mm-hmm. uh, radio station. Regardless, I think he said that there was another offer to come. And I think there, that, that was from St. Louis. So obviously they, I think you said seven, uh, 7.7 million. Uh, maybe that next one gets over eight and maybe that's enough for him. Maybe eight is the, is the, the watermark that he needs to, to receive in order to go back to St. Louis and obviously get his statue and do all that stuff. Uh, but I mean, I want the drama. I definitely want it. I want to see what happens if this doesn't work out. I want to see him go to the open market because I think it would obviously be one of the more interesting storylines of the entire offseason and one of the more interesting free agent acquisitions or free agent departures that we've seen in a long time. And obviously, the Leafs, it would be great. That's exactly what they need, obviously. Uh, but $8 million, I just don't know where it's going to come from. If, you know, if he's if he refuses to take anything less than $8 million from St. Louis, why would he do that for the Maple Leafs? I just don't see that happening, but Hey, maybe if they move heaven and earth and this is the guy they want, and this is the guy they think can settle everything down on the back end, uh, maybe it can happen. And maybe, I mean, it's possible until the blues get a deal done. And I guess we're not sure that's going to happen anymore. Look with the Leafs, like with most teams, you look at them, you go, there's no one sort of, uh, uh, I guess, fix all button like you can't plug one player in here and he fixes everything but with the Leafs you get a guy like Alex Petrangelo that basically fix solves all your problems like right there like their biggest Mm -hmm. problems are players are playing too high up on in in the lineup um, at least on the back end they have no right shot depth behind Justin Hall who's who should be on the third pairing instead of the first and yet and you would say you know the lack of maturity uh, when it comes to sort of mental toughness in the playoffs, the lack of winning pedigree, um, the lack of defensive just capability, everything. You put Alex Petrangelo on that, and he solves it all. 
And so if you can find a way to get him, like if he hits the open market, there should be a full court press to be like, look, we know it's crazy. It's crazy right now. We get it. It's COVID-19. You're not going to make as much money, even if you hit the open market than you would have in any other year. He should be making, if, if Mark Edward Vlasic is making like nine or whatever, Petrangelo should look at, take that and be like, all right, now add like 25% to that. Um, but he's played with John Tavares before. This is a, he's, he's from here. I mean, he, he's the, the biggest thing that's tying him to St. Louis other, other than that is that his wife's family is from there. Well, now his family's from Toronto. So I think that there'd be at least some sort of familiarity there if you're going to like sort of uproot your family. It kind of makes sense. I, I, I used to kind of scoff at Petrangelo to, to the Leafs rumors, you know, before because they really weren't based on anything. But man, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but it, I, think, I think when there's smoke, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a lot of smoke coming out of here. I, I was not expecting a guy like Petrangelo to be that vocal. Usually a, a captain of a team, a, a longstanding guy, a guy from that kind of era, is not going to speak vocally and kind of criticize his own team. But he's, he's willing to talk to anyone about how disappointed he's been here. He's won his cup. He's conquered everything he really needs to do in, in St. Louis. Man, he, would be, he, he could have a statue in this city. He could have, you know, like I said this with Kyle Lowry, and I'll say it here, like if he comes to Toronto and helps them win a cup next year, the year after, whatever, I'm probably going to one day be sending my kid to Alex Petrangelo Elementary. So it's in Toronto. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens here. I, I can't wait. No matter what, we're going to have a lot to talk about this offseason. We're going to have to build like 23 new schools because every player on that team is going to get yep. himself a school or a statue and or what have you. And to fund more education. Right. Good. You're right. He will play a major role if, that, if he ends up coming and the, end, the Leafs end up having success. You're right. He will mm -hmm. play, play a major role. Uh, we got two more. We got Panthers assistant Mike Kitchen being uh, let go after he kicked a player. We don't know who the player was, yeah. but he kicked a player after he was soaked with a water bottle that came out of that player's hands. Uh, listen, I don't really have much to say here. I mean, I guess he should probably not have a job in the NHL if he's going to have a full wind-up and boot someone in the back, a player that he coaches, uh, and he doesn't have a job anymore. So, other than it sort of reflecting on the Panthers as a whole, who just seem to be a complete mess. Uh, that's about all I have to say. I have two things to say to this one, this exact thing happened when I was, when I played minor hockey um, wow. on the bench, except it was opening old wounds here. Yeah. It was, except it was the coach kicking an 11 year old opposed to a coach kicking a, a grown man. Um, Were and you also, the 11 year old? Just I was to... not. Thankfully I was on the ice at the time. So uh, I, I did not get kicked. I probably, you know, at the, how, how annoying I was at that time probably should have but uh no it was this other guy yeah. um and also how did we not know about this before like the the benches are t like they're on camera right like we it, it just yeah how did it take this long how no one saw this this happened in I mean there's in not anywhere was it in Minnesota if it was in Florida I can see that because they'd be playing in front of 30 people and maybe all Actually. of them were in the bathroom at the time but like yeah or at the concession stand, but this is, I don't get it. it. He, when he opted out of the return to play plan, I remember everyone saying like, Oh, it's probably due to health stuff or he's getting up there and all that. How did this not come out? Like it just, I mean, good on them for kind of, you know, keeping those leaks in, but think about all the crap that's happened in the, in the Panthers front office now where Tal Dale Talon gets fired and is now uh, rightfully fired and is being investigated for using racially charged language and now Mike Kitchen kicks one of his own players and gets booted like six months after it happened or eight, eight months after it happened now, allegedly happened. Yeah. 
just and, and Joel Quendel knowing about it and not doing anything, not saying anything. I know that's his guy. I mean, Mike Kitchen seems like he's followed he Quenville everywhere. And that doesn't look great on Quenville, but I don't suspect that Quenville will get any, you know, any heat for this because it just seems to be swept under the rug because it's Florida. And why is what at the same time too, why is a player soaking a coach with a water bottle? Like that, like I, goes... I mean he came back to the bench and just smashed it probably, but Oh, okay. Like the, well, like caller, like Nathan McKinnon did that, and the Taylor Hall did that with yeah. Dallas Eakins. But he like, got I, kicked. It, would, it would be really annoying as a coach. You're standing there in a suit, you're cold already, and you get soaked with a water bottle. I, I can see why it would elicit a response. It probably just shouldn't have been a soccer kick. It depends if it was the slamming of the water bottle and he gets some spray, some splashback, opposed to if he actually directed the spray at him. I mean, if he purposely sprayed him, the kick I mean, might be warranted. Honestly. Well, I mean, no, no bosses warranted to kick their employee, but at the same time, like, why is, I want to know, I want to know the details of the, of the spray situation. Cause if the spray, if it was, if he just got caught in the crossfire of an incidental one, and then he ended up kicking that player, terrible. He should never work again. That's ridiculous. That's, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that coaches were getting that were getting, you know, uh, brought to light during during the middle of the season when, when every, everyone's dirty laundry is getting aired. At the same time, if, if this player was like, I don't like what you're telling me systems-wise and just sprayed this coach with a water bottle, then yes, you're not, you shouldn't kick anyone in a workplace. But I think that you shouldn't also, kick anyone. Yes. No, kicking but, is not the answer. But no. I think that also speaks pretty bad towards the, the culture of the players for being able to, to do that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, you, we don't really know what happened. We don't like know. If, if, anyone, if anyone went to Florida Panthers games and had their cell phones out, I mean, if this was in any other arena, there would probably be at least someone fiddling around with their camera at that moment, uh, and we'd get lucky. But we're missing pretty important context here. Was it a heavy kick? Was it a light kick? Was it a response to the water bottles being sprayed on them? What, you know, there's a lot of things going on here. Intent. But, you we know, need to see the intent. There's, there's soccer kicks. There's little taps. Where did it fall in that spectrum? I'll just, you know. I'm going to scroll whatever. through the World Star uh, uh, archives later today to see if they, anyone caught it, but I don't think that they did. No, no, no. I don't think anyone caught it, unfortunately. Okay, let's uh, move to the last headline. It's just that Calgary had removed its interim tag on Jeff Ward. Uh, he took over through the, you know, the midway point of the season for Bill Peters, who's also, another coach who got himself got himself into much more trouble for uh, much greater reasons. Yes. I'll say I, I don't want to diminish a kick, but certainly worse coaching conduct. Uh, he went 24, 15, and three as the Flames head coach, and they lost in the first round to the Dallas Stars. Uh, you know, it seems as though the Flames responded well to Ward. Mm -hmm. uh, he, what he was, you know, being based off or compared to. Uh, obviously, I think he had an advantage there because as much as Bill Peters was fired for a specific reason, I don't think that he was particularly liked by the Flames and, and you know, previous players that he's coached. Uh, but I think he did a decent job. And I think one of the best, thing he's, best things that he managed to do was sort of define roles for guys. Mm -hmm. I know Mil Milan Lucic was, uh, was invigorated under Ward because he felt like he was being actually treated as one of the players instead of you know, just a goon that gets thrown out there and makes way too much money. So I, I think they responded to Ward. And as we mentioned with the bonus stuff, I think that response and their ability to, uh, you know, listen and want to listen are, are really important things. And it's no surprise then maybe that an assistant coach uh, moves to the head coaching seat 
and basically gets unanimous approval from the coaching staff and, and uh, or from the players uh, and the management team as well. I think it says a lot. Like in terms of an actual hockey perspective, I think this is relatively ho-hum. But I think that someone who can come in there and write a ship that was probably in the most turbulent waters we've seen an organization be in, at least in the middle of the season, in quite some time. I mean, like yeah. that – that the Bill Peters sort of bombshell, it hit that organization like, like a bomb. Like it, 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 to be to part of the pun, like Bill, Jeff Ward was able to put out a lot of fires on the flames. Like he was, mm-hmm. and I think just being, just being a sense of stability during a time when um, a lot of people, like it wasn't just that Bill Peters got fired. It was that it, it, it was the look on the organization with how they handled it. It was how they allowed, how they hired this man in the first place, how he was allowed to, to keep holding a job despite all these things he's done in the past. It was just a, it, you know, it, it, it was a pall on the organization. And I think Jeff Ward came in and was able to stabilize it and get them to play, you know, quasi 500 hockey through the rest of the way and just sort of ride it out. When that, when after something like that happened and, and you're getting an assistant coach kind of in, in the interim role, it could have easily just been a, 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 you know, a complete tire fire moving forward with the team. Like they could have, it, it, it could have torpedoed their entire season and yet he was able to kind of steady the ship. So I think that above anything was able, was, was what got him this job. I think that above anything was, is why I think he's a decent, he's a decent pick for this at the same time from an actual on ice perspective. I mean, Gerard Gallant's out on the, on, on out there, you know, uh, uh, like there are, there are a decent amount of, you know, quality head coaches out there that seem like they want to work and Jeff Ward. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, I guess the players like to play for him, but how many of those players are going to be back next year? Like, we don't know. So it's going to be really, it's going to be, I don't know how, how it goes. Good for him for being able to, to, to steady the ship. And, and like I, like we've said, you're only 31 of these jobs available. So it, it's great. And, and speaks to him that he's able to nab this, but I think there are better options from an ice perspective out there for sure. Yeah, there may be, but a little patience here, especially in a COVID world mm-hmm. where you, you, know, you don't know what, this, what the uh, financial situation is there yes, in Calgary. Exactly. Uh, but saving a little money on an assistant coach, uh, transitioning to a head coach, and someone who's not exactly going to command a major salary after you fired a coach that yeah. I believe they still Probably have to pay did. unless it was conduct detrimental to the team and they were there's able to no get around that. They, there's no way they still have to pay him? I, I mean – he got like think about how he got fired. That had to yeah, violate. Yeah, honestly, the, I don't know what the legalities are there. But uh, again, if you can save a little money on a guy that people that the players seem to be responding to, I think that's probably a, mm-hmm. a good time to make that decision, especially or even though there are some uh, really talented coaches out there. Uh, I think that's it for us, though. Uh, obviously, I mentioned earlier that we are uh, transitioning back to post-game shows. We don't know exactly how that will be presented, whether it's live on Twitter, live on YouTube, or just straight podcast. Uh, But we will have content after every Stanley Cup final game. Uh, We'll have, obviously, we'll be writing about the games as well. Uh, So we'll have you covered from that perspective. And then we're shifting back into off-season mode. And that will mainly center around the Toronto Maple Leafs, who we believe are going to be very busy. There's other teams that are going to be busy. So we'll touch on all the major happenings of the off-season, the draft, free agency, and so on and so forth. But for the next two weeks or less, it's going to be post-game shows with the Stanley Cup final with the Dallas Stars facing either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the New York Islanders. It's been a bit of a long summer in terms of hockey, but I'm really looking forward to the championship series. It should be fun to do that, and it should be fun to cover these, these games uh, in post-game format. Absolutely. I can't wait. And when, when you say off-season mode, people think it's taking a step back. Nope. The Leafs are going to be incredibly busy. It's going to be great. So we're going to be able to cover all of that. It'll be 
absolutely great. I can't wait to get back to the post-game shows and start talking about some major happenings. It's all it's all coming up, uh, live, laugh, leaves. It should be fun. Light a candle, Mike. Uh, maybe pour some rosé. I will. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.